What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by Jean Auge and Jumbo Cheeseburger Abbott. Happy New Year to everybody. Guys, good to be together again. Welcome back. Great to be here. (laughs) Today, we're discussing Scott Milanovic giving props to Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke. The Blue Bombers shaking up their coaching staff. A large offseason roster bonus looming for Ottawa Red Blacks quarterback Jeremiah Mazzoli. The Rough Riders releasing longtime standout Derek Moncrief. Plus, Dane Evans and Charleston Hughes retiring from professional football. But first, the Edmonton Elks have signed McLeod Bethel Thompson following a one-year stint in the USFL and released Taylor Cornelius after a disastrous 2023 season. Jones didn't tell Canadian Trey Ford about the signing before it was made, stating that he doesn't coddle his players. Has Edmonton handled its quarterback situation the correct way? No, they absolutely have (laughs) not. And look, we'll get into the merits of McLeod Bethel Thompson versus Trey Ford on the field as players, I'm sure, in this discussion. And I think there are points to be made for both sides. I don't necessarily think this signing is terrible. I think there are a lot of positives to take away from it. But the way that they have handled this transition, Chris Jones saying, I didn't even bother to tell Trey Ford. He just found out on the transaction wire like everybody else is ludicrous. Okay. This isn't about coddling players. It's about exhibiting basic human decency. It's about keeping people in the loop and whether you like it or not, quarterbacks are more important than other parts of your team and need to be treated as such and need to be kept in the loop if you really believe in Trey Ford's future if you really want to keep him invested in this team and see a role for him down the line you needed to go and talk to him and say look this is our vision for you right now we don't think you're ready right now we need you to sit behind a guy with veteran experience who can help you take your game to the next level but Chris Jones didn't do that you know who did do it McLeod Bethel Thompson, who just about the first thing he did, told the Edmonton media, he called Trey Ford. He let him vent. He let him moat on how disappointed he was that he wasn't going to be the starter and shared with him his vision for how he's going to help him going forward. Chris Jones, who's supposed to be the head coach of this damn football team, didn't bother to do anything. And to me, that's extremely poor leadership. With all due respect, the comparison that Chris Jones made in terms of potentially letting Trey Ford know about a quarterback move 
he said was akin to signing a defensive lineman and said that he wouldn't tell Sam Achimpong. Now, Trey Ford and Sam Achimpong from a talent perspective, I don't think are quite in the same ballpark, but we're talking about quarterbacks and I don't want to sound biased and Hodge is going to roll his eyes here from being a former Canadian (laughs) university quarterback, but it means more. Okay. It's the premier position. The CFL was out here trumpeting Trey Ford when they dropped their schedule and the matchups that he was going to have in 2024 for Edmonton. That ain't going to happen anymore. Chris Jones just gives the middle finger to the league in TSN and says, nah, uh, uh, I got a quarterback that I'm going to bring in here and start over Trey Ford. Now, as much as it pains me to say this, fellas, I'm curious your answer to this question. If you were Chris Jones and you were in a situation where you knew you had to at least have a winning record and probably at least win one playoff game, would you rather have McLeod Bethel-Thompson for a year as your starter or Trey Ford? I would probably go with McLeod Bethel-Thompson. And I think you've hit the nail on the head, Justin, because Chris Jones is a lot of things. Dumb is not one of them, right? And he is one thing he certainly is, is a self-preservationist. He certainly knows that this is his last year at Edmonton if they don't make the playoffs. I don't know what the record has to be. I would guess at least 500. But if you need a steady-as-she-goes run-of-the-mill, safe quarterback. You can't do much better than McLeod Bethel-Thompson. At this point, I would almost compare to a Kevin Glenn, a guy who, even into his mid-late 30s, seemingly never gets hurt, is always healthy, is always ready to play, and though he'll rarely wow you with an absolutely sensational throw, he, he will at times, rarely. He'll also very rarely make an absolute boneheaded decision and throw a game-losing interception. So for those reasons, I do think that if you're interested, what your primary goal is, is to not get fired. You go with McLeod Bethel-Thompson. Long-term, what is actually better for the Edmonton Elks? It's probably to play Trey Ford. I agree with you, Hodge, on basically every point there. Now, I come at this from a little bit of an interesting spot because at various times I've been called a Trey Ford hater. And I've been called a McLeod Bethel Thompson Hager. Wow. It's, <laughs> I, how do I weigh those two things right now? Well, to me, Trey Ford just isn't polished yet. His high end is far higher than McLeod Bethel Thompson could ever dream of. I mean, if you were to make an athlete in a lab, it might just be Trey Ford. We know about his athleticism. We know about the plays that he's able to make. But let's be frank, boys. There was times last year in games where he was a liability at the quarterback position until he found that one incredible play where he wasn't making the correct reads, where he was making mistakes. McLeod Bethel-Thompson can come in, and I've called him at various points the Kirk Cousins or the Andy Dalton of the CFL, and all I mean by that is he is the bar by which you need to have, right? If you've got a quarterback less than McLeod Bethel-Thompson in the CFL, you're screwed, okay? But if you have McLeod Bethel-Thompson or better, you have a chance to win, and he's going to give the Edmonton Elks a chance to win by being a steady hand and a good veteran. I like how he's approached this from his perspective in his vision for helping Trey Ford. From an organizational standpoint, my one and only concern is I think these two guys are two different players 
so widely different that I don't know how you institute an offense where if one goes down, you're able to stick the next one in. I think with a player like Trey Ford, you really need to design an offense just for him. I still don't think Edmonton did a good enough job of that in the second half of last season. And if they've got to put in a whole playbook for McLeod Bethel Thompson that meets his skill sets as a pocket passer, then you're not going to have a lot of time to have a whole playbook for Trey Ford as well. So I would like these guys to be a little bit more similar in style, but I do think Edmonton made the right call here going with somebody who's steady handed like Macbeth. There are a few things that I take issue with that Chris Jones said. Top among them was, well, Trey Ford's only played in and around 30 U sports football games. He called it CIS, which I still think it should be called. But are you kidding me? Like, that is probably on average more than your average quarterback coming out of U sports and coming out of the NCAA. We have guys that are drafted in the first round of the NFL draft all the time that have only had one real season as a starter. So that, to me, is bogus. We know last year, Trey Ford's performance in practice was actually better based on sourcing than Chris Jones said to the media. And JC, your point is valid about McLeod Bethel-Thompson's playing style compared to Trey Ford's. Now, I think in the effort of balance here, we should talk about the upside of Trey Ford because I think it is absolutely tremendous. At times, as JC alluded to, was he making the best play as a true quarterback last season? No, but it was clear to everybody in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and anyone that knows anything about football, that Trey Ford was the best quarterback on the Edmonton roster. And if Chris Jones would have started him last year earlier in the season, the Elks very well could have made the playoffs and perhaps would be on a different trajectory with Trey Ford. This is absolutely the safe play to try to preserve his job. I understand it, but I just don't like it. I thought we were moving towards a different CFL here when the BC Lions were willing to go all in on Nathan Rourke after a year of him learning from Michael Riley and not playing anywhere near as much as Trey Ford got to play in the season last year where the Argonauts were willing to go all in on Chad Kelly after essentially one start. Yes, part of that was McLeod Buffalo Thompson moving on to the USFL, but they did it. The willingness even from Scott Milanovic to talk about Taylor Powell and his upside after what he showed last year in Hamilton. You know, I thought we were kind of trending towards getting away from those Kevin Glenn types who were 500 quarterbacks. Some people will say just good enough for you to keep your job, but other people might say just good enough to get you beat. So, you know, I don't like seeing it as a proponent of Canadian quarterbacks and especially Trey Ford being a Canadian university quarterback from the university of Waterloo. I do understand there's further development there, but the question that I would pose to Chris Jones is how is Trey Ford going to develop while getting less reps I think at the end of the day, and I I agree with what you're saying, Dunk, but this also plays into something I say all the time, which is that the primary goal of coaches and personnel people is not to win games. It's to keep their jobs. And those two things are oftentimes the same, um, but not always, right? And this might be a situation where Chris Jones is going, okay, I'll I'll use a banking analogy. McLeod Bethel Thompson is GICs. Trey Ford is cryptocurrency. Right. And 
Chris Jones has put himself in a situation where he cannot afford volatility and cannot afford to lose money. So he is buying the GICs hands down and leaving the cryptocurrency to those who have a little bit more that they can risk to lose. Because right now he's got nothing that he can risk. He absolutely has to have a good season. I also think that plays into this is the fact that the Edmonton Elks are clearly being stripped for parts to be sold, right? Rick Lawlisher made it pretty clear that as the team's interim president, I think they're still using an interim tag because I think he's only there for this one year. His job is to prepare that public team for sale. When a new owner comes in, there is no way they are going to give Chris Jones a contract extension. He is granted under contract through 2025 at the moment, but there is no way that they're going to keep him in that role if he has a third consecutive losing season. They're going to go out as new owners, bring in their own GM, who is presumably going to hire their own head coach. So to me, that does explain it, but ultimately I get what you're saying. And one more thing I will say, I said this last year when Taylor Powell, or Taylor Cornelius pardon me, was starting, regardless of what McLeod Bethel Thompson does or how well he plays, whatever, that team desperately needs to have a 5-10 to 10 play package that they can install every single week for Trey Ford because opposing defenses having to prepare for McLeod Bethel Thompson and Trey Ford is going to be miserable. And also it's a way to keep Trey Ford engaged, keep him developing, keep making him feel as though he is possibly still the quarterback of the future in that city. And you'll have, of course, more experience for him if and when McLeod Bethel Thompson does get hurt. Though obviously part of the allure of a McLeod Bethel Thompson is he's apparently just some healthy horse who just never, never, ever gets hurt. Never seems to anyway. That engagement, Hodge, I think is the last thing that that we do need to touch on a little bit because it's so critical because the other factor in this move is Trey Ford's entering the last year of his rookie contract, right? He can walk after 2024 if he is not satisfied with what his future could be in Edmonton. And that's a fairly valuable asset that the Edmonton Elks could risk losing for nothing. I mean, Chris Jones, for all his humming and hawing about actually playing Trey Ford at quarterback, he spent a first-round pick on him. That's a big deal, right? That is huge, a huge asset that you sent on Trey Ford. And if you just let him walk for nothing, if you don't either convince him that you're actually invested in him and get him to resign or move him for some other asset – It'll be a tremendous, tremendous waste. So that engagement part that you mentioned, Hodge, I think is huge if you want to keep Trey Ford in Edmonton past this season. If you're Trey Ford, though, based on the way that you've been treated in Edmonton, do you want to even entertain signing a contract extension or potentially Probably staying not. There after the 2024 season? Hell no. You're going to look for any other opportunity where you're not necessarily coddled, but you're treated with some decent respect as a human being. And on the sale part wouldn't it be more sexy to a potential owner to have this up-and-coming Canadian quarterback who in a hypothetical scenario let's say leads a team to eight nine wins because I think that was possible last season if he started the majority of the season I think you guys would probably agree who throws for let's say three four thousand yards maybe rushes for a thousand as a quarterback kicks it back old school to kind of what Tracy Ham was doing I'm not saying he is Ham but maybe has that possibility isn't that more enticing to a potential owner than your run-of-the-mill McLeod Bethel Thompson with all due respect to the Great Cup champion? To me, it is. But I don't know if it is to Chris Jones. Trey Ford certainly puts some butts in seats. 
I think he has generated some excitement. Whether that would continue if he's not able to to generate more wins than he did last season, I don't know. But there was some tangible excitement about him, and that seems to have dissipated since this move. Hamilton Tiger Cats head coach Scott Milanovic was highly complimentary of Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke's first season in the NFL, which ended with him being the primary backup for the New England Patriots for their regular season finale against the New York Jets. Why was Milanovic so high on Rourke, and do you agree with his assessment? I definitely agree, and he was high on Rourke because he has gotten his foot in the door. That was a direct quote from Milanovic, who has played quarterback in the NFL, referenced a story that in his first year with the Detroit Lions, both the quarterbacks went down in front of him. He got into play, and he thought, I'm going to play every week, and they never played another snap in the NFL again. He has coached NFL quarterbacks at the position with a couple of franchises, Jacksonville and Indianapolis. He knows that system that Rourke was in with the Jaguars for the majority of the season very well because he spent time coaching alongside Press Taylor, who was the offense coordinator for Jacksonville this past season as well. So Milanovic knows how hard it is just to get your foot in the door in the NFL. And I actually think that it was the best possible way this season happened for Rourke that he wasn't forced into a situation where he had to play in Jacksonville because that offensive line was absolutely terrible just ask Trevor Lawrence and all the injuries he sustained and I think it was better that he didn't get any playing time as much as people were getting mad at Bill Belichick in that last game against the Jets because he had only been in New England for just over three weeks so it was great to see him promoted clearly Bill Belichick Notice the work ethic of Nathan Work. And for the uninitiated out there, and Hodge kind of experiences, I think, a little bit, Belichick didn't give a ring endorsement of Rourke right when he got there. But the fact that he even gave a handful of sentences of props to Rourke for what he had done there in just over three weeks speaks volumes with Bill Belichick. So I think it was a very successful first season in the NFL. Everybody can laugh at me or send me their crying laughing emojis on twitter or x or wherever they want but it definitely was and even from a financial standpoint by my calculations he made in and around five hundred thousand usd and if you do the conversions and hodge is usually the mathematician on the show he actually made more than any player in the cfl this past season including zach caleros who made six hundred thousand dollars canadian so it was successful financially Not so much on the field from a playing perspective, but developing behind the scenes, understanding what it's like to learn an NFL offense in two different places, get plucked off the waiver wire, go to a new place with Bill Belichick, who is still revered as one of the greatest coaches in NFL history, maybe not one of the best talent evaluators anymore, but he saw something in Rourke. And I think that development can really help him for the future and guys Are you happy that I didn't go on for half an hour? (laughs) At the end of the day, and I appreciate that we live in a fast news world where every single day we have to overreact to every single thing that has happened every single place on the planet. But it is wild to me that people are looking at Nathan Rourke making half a million U.S. in the States 
as a 26-year-old and going, wow, this kid really messed up. What a terrible failure. <laughs> like, he, he definitely should have played for the BC Lions this year. Like, this kid is 26. He's going to be in the NFL, or pardon me, he's going to be in professional football for another 10 years, right? Takes good care At of least. his body. Like, he is going to have, pardon me, he's 25. He'll be 26 in May. He's 25. He's going to be around a long time. He's going to make a lot of money, whether he's in Canada or the United States. This was one year of what will probably be a 13 or 14 year professional career, be it in the States, be it in Canada. Let's take a breath. He did one year. He impressed one team enough to get signed and get on the active roster for a little bit. He impressed another team to get claimed off waivers and spend three games on the active roster. It's one year. Take a breath. Was it the perfect year? No. It would have been better if he'd gotten into the game week one and thrown for 5,000 yards and 50 (laughs) touchdowns and zero picks. That is the best possible outcome. He did not do that. He recorded exactly zero pass attempts for exactly zero completion, zero yards, zero touchdowns. But I still think that this should be considered a positive year for Rourke. If for no other reason, then he lined his pockets with all kinds of money after making dirt with the BC Lions the last couple of years, despite tearing it up on the field. There is one thing that I would like to say to everyone in our Twitter comments after every single Nathan Rourke post. Go touch some grass. Go outside. Like, see the sun. Gain, <laughs> gain some perspective, gentlemen. Like it's it's ridiculous. Some of these commentary, some of the commentary that we see Gentlemen on these articles. We have lots of lady yeah. followers. Well, I think the ladies are are far smarter than the gentlemen. These particular individuals are not rather intelligent. So uh, I, I'm not going to put the. Well, ladies let, let's in just the let's just call a spade a spade. The people who are dissing Nathan Rourke are just upset he's not in the CFL, and they're trying to take Absolutely. that disappointment of that anger and pushing it on to him and look yeah as someone who is invested in the CFL it does suck to see a great quarterback leave but Nathan Rourke also doesn't owe the CFL Jack he doesn't owe any of us Jack he doesn't owe anybody but himself and I guess hopefully his wife and family anything and he can do what is best for him and he did it and it's working pretty well and we can just take a breath. We're not entitled to this young man's life. We're not entitled to his decisions. Let him do his thing. And if he wants to come back, he will. Until then, get a blankie, wrap yourself up with some hot cocoa, and just know that everything's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We still have good quarterbacks in the CFL. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it through the winter. We're going to do it. Direct there's that just, hate at Chris Jones with Trey Ford. <laughs> there's just a lack of perspective. And I think from the very beginning, like we get accused of, of being these Nathan Rourke champions, but I mean, our oh, objective talent, our objective talent evaluation of him is that he's a very good quarterback. I think anyone who's watched him can say that. And as he's progressed through the season, even though he didn't get on the field, the fact that he got promoted at every single stage would suggest there's something there, right? We are 
I'm a believer in Nathan Rourke just from a talent perspective. But from the very second he signed in the NFL, nobody here on this podcast was saying he's going to start day one because that's how good he is. And I think a lot of people out there thought anything less than that was a failure for Nathan Rourke. And it's not 1980 anymore, people. It's not. The NFL is not going to pluck any quarterback, no matter how talented they are, off a CFL roster and start them in year one. Nathan Rourke had to go through these learning pains, through this slow progression, and he's better off now than where he was at the start of the year. It's a tremendous success to be able to be the primary backup in an NFL game in year one. Right. You've got to think about him as an undrafted rookie because that's what the NFL views him as. And there's not a whole lot of of undrafted rookies in the NFL that get any significant minutes or get onto an active roster in their first season. So Nathan Rourke being able to go to New, New England, get promoted, that's tremendous success. And everybody needs to just gain just a little bit. I urge you a little bit of perspective on what this kid's journey is going to be like and and watch it objectively instead of either crying or mocking people who are following this story. Put yourself in Rourke's shoes, and Hodge used a banking analogy earlier. Let's use a numbers analogy here. He makes $500,000 USD, let's say, just to make it an even number, with the potential to make millions, tens of millions, even just as a backup in the NFL. Yes, he would make a nice tidy, what, six, seven hundred, seven hundred fifty thousand, maybe at the top end as a quarterback in the CFL. But if you're making that kind of money, we know how that can have ramifications for the rest of your roster. So he is on a great trajectory. And Scott Milanovic said something that I felt like was very truthful and also interesting. He said some teams in the NFL respect the CFL, but there are a bunch of others that do not respect the Canadian Football League. So Rourke, being a smart dude that he is, knew that he had to be in the NFL. JC said it. Warren Moon, those times ain't happening anymore, where they go from starting for the Edmonton football team to a starting quarterback in the NFL. That's not happening. Simply is not happening. Bolivar Mitchell wanted that to happen for himself or at least have the opportunity to compete for a starting job and be a backup But he didn't want to go through that. So he decided to stay in the CFL after a long NFL workout tour of his own coming off that championship season in 2018 and winning the MOP. Rourke is right there. If there was an injury that happened to Bailey Zappi in the last game of the season, he would have been in there. I think it's best that he didn't. But the fact now that he has that NFL preseason play on film is huge. Patrick Mahomes, for freak's sakes, took notice of him. And oh, by the way, that was one of our top most read articles in 2023. And that's the other thing I want to address because JC alluded to it. We had a lot of people saying, well, you guys are following Nathan Rourke's every move. Has he gone to the bathroom? Has he drank water? Where is whereabouts at this exact time? And I think that's somewhat valid, but also people vote on the World Wide Web with their clicks. And it shows in our data that every single time we post about Nathan Rourke, people read about it. So guess what? We give the people 
what they want. And it's Nathan Rourke, and he's a quarterback. And yes, Eddie Steele, we treat quarterbacks differently because everybody does. Except we for still Edmonton. Have covered, except for Edmonton. Yes, true. That's very true. Eddie still should talk to his boy Chris Jones about treating Canadian quarterbacks properly, by the way. But we track all of the former CFLers that go down to the NFL, every single last one of them, both of you guys, and I think it's Hodge that usually does this article, very tediously have done that. Every single Canadian playing in the NFL that's been drafted or signed as an undrafted free agent since this website's inception has had at least one article written about them, if not multiple, I can guarantee it. Michael Hoyt, is that how you say his name, Hoyt? That's correct. Set a career high for single-season sacks with five this year with the Los Angeles Rams. Post, Sidney Brown, ACL injury. That sucks. Had a great year with the Eagles as a rookie. Post, we have these articles on the site. Alex Singleton breaks the Denver Broncos single-season tackles record. Post, it's on the site. We cover it all. So I don't want to hear any of this trash about us just focusing on Nathan Wark. But I'll tell you, when Bill Belichick, who is regarded as one of the best, if not the best coach in NFL history, says even one word, which is essentially what he said the first time <laughs> after he spoke about him claiming Nathan Wark, that's going to be a post, okay? Sorry, not sorry. Well, and there seemed to be an implication from some people when that data came out from us that, well, okay, you can cover Nathan Rourke, but then you have to write up the same amount about every other player. And if that's the case, I think that every media organization should be held to the same standard. So if you write an article about Justin Trudeau, you're not allowed to write another one until you've written an article about every member of parliament. And if you write an article about Joe Biden, that's fine, but you have to write an article about every other member of Congress before you can go back to the president of the United States. You can't do it. That's that's favorite. That's media bias. You're just trying to make him a bigger deal than he is. Quarterbacks obviously are the reason that a lot of people watch football. They're not watching. It hurts my heart as a former offensive lineman, but they're not watching to play the left guard in pass pro. They're watching to make. They're watching to see quarterbacks make sensational throws. So we will continue to cover Nathan Rourke the same way, and it. Uh, I, I think it's a good thing. Um, the only thing I will add to that dunk is when it comes to this opinion that you're offering, Milanovic, who has played quarterback in the NFL, has coached the quarterback position in the NFL, and has been an offensive coordinator in the NFL, he offered the same exact opinion. So if you're disagreeing with any of us, you're also disagreeing with somebody who has quite literally been there and done that. The only time that I got backlash for my Nathan Rourke opinion was at the start of the year when I said that Nathan Rourke is probably better than at least one or two starters in the NFL. And I had Facts. people going, you think you're smarter than NFL GMs? What do you, t-? well, who was the, the week one starter in new England, by the way, was it, was it Mac Jones? <laughs> and um, who, who, who was the third stringer this past week when Nathan Rourke was the primary <laughs> backup? All right. That was Mac Whoa, Jones too. All right. Okay. That was Mac. I'm just, just double checking. Just make it sure. A first-round pick in the 2021 NFL draft that played at the University of Alabama, but there's no way that could happen, Hodge. There's no way. Who is also uh, was a pro bowler as a rookie and is now objectively bad, or at least functioning within the system with the pieces around him that admittedly are not very good, is objectively bad. But anyways, we should move on. 
The Winnipeg Blue Bombers shook up their coaching staff this past week, replacing defensive coordinator Richie Hall with Jordan Younger and special teams coordinator Paul Boudreau with Mike Miller. Do these moves make sense for Big Blue? I think they do. I also think they are surprising moves. Mike O'Shea is nothing if not loyal. Richie Hall had been with the club since 2015. Like 20, like he has been there one fewer year than Mike O'Shea. O'Shea came in in 2014. Gary Echeverry was his DC. The defense was highly disappointing. And Richie Hall was brought in. This is just the second move that O'Shea has made at that particular position. And he made it clear during his avail on Monday at the State of the League or, or uh, the, the league offseason winter meetings that his primary concern was losing younger, right? There were rumors that had Buck Pierce become the next head coach of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, that younger would be his defensive coordinator. And O'Shea said in quite blunt terms, terms that frankly, I'm not used to him using saying, yeah, if, if you don't promote him, you're going to lose him. And we'd rather make this move proactively so we can keep Jordan younger than wait another season and have him inevitably move to another team. He did also state, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but, Everybody around the league has noticed how good of work he does with Winnipeg's defensive backs. He was inevitably going to get plucked. But Richie Hall is an institution in this league. He's been in and around the CFL as formerly an all-star defensive back and now as an assistant coach for literally 30, almost 40 years. Um, To me, he belongs in the Hall of Fame. I think it's a shame that he's not there yet. Um, And fortunately for the Bombers, he's agreed to stick around. But I do also think it's worth pointing out there's been a little bit of criticism that these decisions maybe came a little bit late in the game, where on the one hand, Richie Hall is is happy to take a demotion and stay around in a reduced role. But also, if this move had been made a little bit earlier, maybe we'd be in a situation where Richie Hall would, you know, have had an opportunity to go be a D.C. elsewhere. Right. The Toronto Argonauts are still currently without a defensive coordinator after after losing Corey Mace to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders as their head coach. Special teams-wise, I think this move makes sense because the teams have regressed, especially at cover teams, punt and kickoff, under Paul Boudreaux. And Mike O'Shea has nothing, if not trust, in his veteran special teamers. Mike Miller was been with the club since 2016, became the club's alt or the CFL's all-time special teams leading tackler in 2022, missed all of 2023, and was not going to be able to continue his career due to a a long-term kind of neck slash shoulder injury that, you know, he, he you know, he said in his, his, his conference call when the move was announced that he was going to, you know, he, they, they reached out to specialists all across North America to try to see if they could get him to play again. And nobody would clear him, even with surgery, nobody would clear him. So he, he's been kind of forced into retirement that way. But I remember back to week one, boys, when the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in 2023, hosting the Hamilton Tiger Cats, gave up a blocked punt. I asked Mike O'Shea after, about, after the game about it, and he said, you should ask Jesse Briggs because he runs that unit. And like that is the level of faith Mike O'Shea has in his veteran special teamers. Uh, so I'm not surprised that Mike Miller has stepped immediately from the player's role into this significant coaching role. I think you can make an argument that over the last number of years, Richie Hall has been the best defensive coordinator in the CFL. And so it is deeply surprising to see him take a step back. But I wish more teams 
would be proactive like this as much as it sucks for Hall. And, and you touched on those points, Hodge, because being able to grow your organization from within to have that vision, to make sure you're not losing competent young coaches to other organizations makes you better. If you look around the CFL, I think there's a number of spots where there have been discussions about, okay, maybe it's time for this person to move up the food chain so that this other head coaching candidate or coordinator candidate can step into that role before they get lost. And teams often don't do that. So it's good to see Winnipeg making that proactive decision with a guy like Younger, who I think will also excel in the role. And the fact that Richie Hall will be staying on to help guide him, at least through his first season, is just a added benefit. Now, when it comes to to Mike Miller, you couldn't find a better guy to run special teams than the CFL's all-time leading special teams tackler. But there is a a point that I want to just touch on here because I'm seeing a bit of a trend in the CFL right now when it comes to former players entering the coaching staffs of their clubs. And it's happened twice now in the offseason. David Brown with the Montreal Alouettes, an offensive line coach, was the first. Mike Miller as well, where both of those guys missed the entirety of last season due to injury. And in their press conference or in the press releases announcing that they were joining their respective coaching staffs, they were referred to as player coaches from last season. And I think this might be a unique way that teams are helping themselves out in this coaching cap era because you are limited to the number of coaches that you have that when you have an established veteran who goes down with a serious injury, they become very much a part of the coaching staff now. People like that have always helped out when they weren't able to play and and shouldered some of that burden. But I think they're now taking more of an official capacity than they ever have in the past. And that's translating into official coaching roles the very next season. We've seen it happen twice now. It's just an interesting trend that I've noticed that maybe is a, is a way of teams not circumventing, but getting around that, uh, that football operations cap. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Full credit to Mike O'Shea for doing something that a lot of people don't think that he can do. And that's change. A lot of people feel like he's going to stick with his guys through thick and thin, even if they're getting long in the tooth. But he's shown, at least with the coaching staff, a bunch of important decisions are coming up with his roster that he is willing to sort of see what could happen in the future or change. There were a lot of people around the Winnipeg Football Club, and yes, it was just one call, but that were not happy with that cover zero call where Cody Fajardo now famously hit Tyson Philpott for the game-winning touchdown in the 110th 
Grey Cup. It's just one call, but when it happens at the biggest moment in the biggest game of the season, there's going to be a lot of people wondering about it. So full credit to O'Shea for having the foresight to make some changes and ideally make his team better when they've been at the top of the West Division for a number of seasons now. But the true test of if O'Shea is willing to change will come with a number of these veteran players that Jim Kyle Walters admitted are at or near the top of the pay scale at their respective positions. Does Stanley Bryant come back? How much has his play dropped off? Should they go younger at that position? I think there's a valid argument, and we'll get into this topic more in a second, for the Bombers to cut some spending elsewhere under the salary cap and try to retain Drew Brown for a potential long-term quarterback succession plan. And I almost think that Brown's smartest play for 2024 at least might be to stay in Winnipeg. But there are a bunch of decisions, as Hodge well knows, coming up with key veterans here that O'Shea is going to have a say on. And I think he's shown, at least with the coaching staff, that he's willing to make changes and not just stay with guys as he's possibly done in the past for too long. Well, and let's let's mention that as well. This is a team that's been to four straight Grey Cups. They've won two, and they've come like seconds. Jason Moss talked about this. Seconds and tiny plays away from winning four straight, which not that long ago would have been thought of as impossible, right? We, we saw a fantastic Alouettes team win two in a row. We saw a ton of great Calgary Stampeders teams in the 2010s. They won two total that decade. They never won two in a row, much less four, right? So this is a team that has been at the top and they just changed two of their three coordinators at the same time in one fell swoop. That I think is a massive deal. I know people generally focus on head coaches, GMs, but we all know that the people who make head coaches are their coordinators. And the fact that this team swapped out two, yes, Richie Hall is staying with the team. He's going to be mentoring guys. He's going to be working with Jordan Younger. But I still think that is surprising. It's significant. It's surprising. And I think it also opens the Bombers up to criticism if the special teams and or the defense are a mess this year. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that they're going to they're going to continue on and, and do some great things, maybe even innovate a little bit. I already mentioned the special teams have dropped off a little bit over the last few years. The cover teams They've also had great success with Janarian Grant's been healthy. With Janarian Grant's been out, Winnipeg's kick return teams have been atrocious. They've tried a bunch of guys back there, Greg McRae, Jamal Parker, whoever. They weren't going anywhere. So I get the special teams move, the defensive move. I compliment the Bombers for being proactive. I still, though, think it is wild that given the team's run of success, they have swapped out two of their three coordinators And uh, it makes you wonder, I'll also throw this, I saw some speculation about this, since the Bombers were so proactive about keeping Richie Hall, it makes you wonder if they're going to try to be proactive about keeping Buck Pierce. The issue is, Buck Pierce is already the OC. If you want to keep him, the only way to do that is to make him your head coach. Obviously, the Bombers have no plans to move on from Mike O'Shea. His contract is signed through 2025, but is there a succession plan there for 2026? Who knows? The Ottawa Red Blacks owe Jeremiah Masoli a 100,000 roster bonus on January 15th as part of his current deal with the team. 
The veteran quarterback has suffered a fractured leg and a torn Achilles since joining the club as a free agent, playing only five games since the start of the 2022 season. How do you see the situation playing out? I have a hard time believing that Mazzoli will receive that $100,000 bonus. Something is going to have to happen before that, be it a renegotiation or a release. Now, Mazzoli has said in the past that he is open to renegotiating his deal with the Red Blacks, potentially taking less money to stay there. There's not a lot of attractive options out there in the open market right now. But we're getting pretty damn close to this deadline, boys, right? So something's got to happen here. And the reality is you can't go into this season paying starter money for Mazzoli because you can't rely on him to be a starter. And that's deeply unfortunate. It's through no fault of Mazzoli's own. When he's been on the field, his play has been good. But unfortunately, with his injuries, he hasn't been able to be on the field. And you don't know quite when he's going to be on the field next season. And you need to invest in that quarterback position elsewhere. So something's going to have to happen here fairly quickly. I would imagine a renegotiation gets done. And there is a reason from a solely side to want to do that because if he gets a signing bonus being an American, that's better for him in terms of taxes. And Ottawa just can't afford to pay him the contract that he's scheduled to make right now and they have the ultimate trump card where they could just release Masoli and go and see what's out there but I do think Masoli would ideally want to stay in the nation's capital because Tommy Condell a familiar offensive coordinator from their days together in Hamilton is now the OC there with the Red Black so I would imagine a renegotiated deal happens that's heavy on playtime incentives for Masoli because it does benefit Ottawa with Dustin Crum and Tyree Adams there, two young quarterbacks who seem to have some upside, especially Crum, who's on play obviously once last season, to have a veteran guy there to help them understand what it's like to be a pro and prepare and all the kinds of things that people rave about Masoli for. Where it gets really intriguing if you're Ottawa is – do you look at potentially bringing in a different quarterback in that pace slot, whatever it happens to be with Masoli? Sean Burke, the general manager, did admit that he at least checked in on McLeod Bethel Thompson. And he did say the same for Chris Strevler. I don't necessarily know if Streffler is really willing to come back to the CFL at this point. He's made a pretty good amount of money in the NFL, has secured his pension down there has had a recent workout with the Chicago Bears, so I think he's going to continue to be NFL-focused. So I think for that reason, the only other guy out there that I think that you could potentially look at bringing in legitimately to be your starter would be Drew Brown, but you don't know if you're going to have a real shot at him, except through going through back channels, until that negotiating period and free agency. So I think it would be smart for Ottawa to retain Masoli on a cut rate backup type of a deal that has these bonuses in there if he does become the starter again for this team. When it comes to this situation, I think there's only one answer, and that answer is you need to bring Jeremiah Masoli back on a new deal. I don't think cutting him does anything for you because Jeremiah Masoli is arguably the best option to quarterback the Ottawa Red Blacks, just as the case has been the last two seasons. The only difference is this time Jeremiah Masoli, from a financial standpoint, has no leverage. He wants to keep playing, 
but everybody knows he's not going to be healthy. Bob Dice and uh, the head coach and Sean Burke, the GM, were both asked about health updates for Jeremiah Masoli. They hesitate to put a firm day on it. Masoli has indicated he'll probably be back July or August. You know, Bob Dice said there there is a chance he could be ready for the start of training camp, but he didn't want to kind of get pinned down on that. He admitted that's an unlikely scenario. Tyree Adams is another quarterback they have. He could be ready for the start of camp. He's apparently ahead of schedule, according to Dice. Dustin Crum, they really like. Bob Dice raved about him. So they've got a bunch of options to carry them through when Jeremiah Masoli will be back. And again, you don't have to pay Jeremiah Masoli four fifty five hundred k like he's made the last two seasons. You can probably bring him in at that kind of tier two quarterback money. Give him what Trevor Harris made, for instance, with the Montreal Alouettes in 2000, I believe it was 22, when he came in as kind of the backup to VA before taking over the starting role. Give him 150K hard, play time to 300 or so. And that way, he's got some financial incentive, but the team also has money to spend elsewhere because Lord knows they need to do a better job of surrounding whoever the quarterback is. They have to do a better job of supplying protection off the edges of the offensive line, and they certainly have to do a better job of providing weapons for that quarterback to be successful in the receiving core. Devontae Williams did a great job with the ball in his hands this past season. I'm not sure he's the answer, however, from a pass protection standpoint. So I think there's an argument to be made that Jeremiah Masoli, the best place for him, is the nation's capital. I know there's some Red Blacks fans who don't want to hear that because they've just decided this guy is an injury-prone, wasted money. He's not worth it. We don't want him. But I do think that he is the best option and at least that sense for the Auto Red Blacks. And I think from a financial standpoint, it makes sense for him and the team for this to be the process moving forward. Winnipeg Blue Bombers GM Kyle Walters indicated that he doesn't think quarterback Drew Brown will be back with the team in 2024 as he pursues a starting job elsewhere in the league. Which team do you see as the best fit for Brown as he looks to get a number one job? Honestly, I'm going to split that question in half because I think the best fit for him for 2024 is actually to stay with the Blue Bombers. But if you want to look for a number one job, the obvious only place to me is the Ottawa Red Blacks, unless the Calgary Stampeders are going to give him a shot to compete with Jake Mayer, which I don't think is going to happen. It seems like Dave Dickinson is content to stick with Mayer and continue to grow him because you look around the league, guys, going west to east. Vernon Adams Jr., the quarterback in BC. We know McLeod Bethel-Thompson is going to be the starter in Edmonton. Trevor Harris, Saskatchewan. Zach Caleros, Winnipeg. Hamilton has said it's Bo Levi Mitchell's job to lose. Toronto, Chad Kelly, Ottawa. I mentioned, and Montreal has Cody Fajardo, obviously. So I think it's Ottawa, unless something drastically changes, like perhaps the Rough Riders wanting to go all in on Drew Brown, but they've said, no, they want to build a rocket ship around Trevor Harris. I do think that would be the other most intriguing situation to me for Brown. Do you go to the Rough Riders as the, I guess, backup to start or the 1B, however you want to categorize it, and potentially try to beat out Trevor Harris or be a succession plan at QB, kind of like Harris was when he was with the Ottawa Redlacks and Henry Burris was there. That said, Harris does want to play into his 40s. He's been on the record 
saying that multiple times. So I actually think it's in the best interest of Brown to go back to the Blue Bombers if they can pay him, you know, around $200,000 with incentives if he does play, if Zach Caleros gets hurt on his contract to earn more money and keep his value high there. Because I don't know if I'd want to go into a very uncertain situation in Ottawa with a team that lacks playmakers right now on offense. One thing I think worth mentioning is the fact that Zach Kolaris and Tommy Condell spent a lot of time together with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, still have a strong relationship, and Zach Kolaris and Drew Brown have a very strong relationship. So there is one common tie between the two in Ottawa. However, with that being said, I agree that going from Winnipeg, where you've got some great weapons, a great offensive line, a system you're very familiar with, Buck Pierce, who's been the OC there since 2021, you know, really his, you know, like Drew Brown's entire time in Winnipeg, and going to a place like Ottawa, where you're playing for a coordinator who's new to the team you've never worked with before, and all kinds of weapons that, again, remains to be seen. Ottawa could still upgrade, but at least right now are simply not good enough. There is a way for you to be spoiled, right? There is a way for the shine. Like a shine can come off a quarterback extremely quickly. Like ask James Franklin about leaving a team and going to a new situation. Ask Nick Arbuckle about leaving a good situation and going to a new team. Happenstance, Drew Brown's agent is the same one as who had James Franklin back in the day. And the same one who has Nick Arbuckle. The agent also has Jake Mayer as a client. I think Calgary should be a spot we talk about. Tommy Stevens is a great short yardage quarterback. Is he ever going to be a QB1 in the CFL? No. Jake Mayer showed last year that right now you could argue he's not even a QB1. You should argue that, you know, he's a system guy and 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 he's he's regressed since playing really well as a rookie when Bolivar Mitchell was still with the Calgary Stampeders in 2021. So you could argue the Stampeders are a good spot, but I kind of agree with you, Dunkster. Honestly, at, like right now, there's no obvious starting spot. There's no really attractive spot out of Winnipeg. If Drew Brown can get good coin from the Blue Bombers, which is going to be tough because they got lots of guys they got to pay, but if you can get good money, why not sign a one-year deal? Yes, Zach Kolaris is tied to the Bombers through 2025, but you sign a one-year deal and you look to hit a home run in 2025. Or if something happens to Zach Kolaris, you don't got to go anywhere. You could be the starter in the peg where you know life is good and the system works for you and, and you've kind of built clout in the market. So I, do, I wouldn't blame Drew Brown if he wanted to go chase bigger money elsewhere. These careers are short. I wouldn't blame him if he wanted to go try to get a better role elsewhere. But long term, I do think that there is an argument to be made that the Bombers are still the best fit for him. Because here's the other thing, guys. Zach Kolaris, knock on wood, three years ago, the thought of him playing more than nine games a year was unthinkable, right? He had so many injury problems between the torn ACL he had with the Ticats in 2015, all the head injuries he had. You know, Saskatchewan, he got he only played one game in 2019 with the Riders. Last three years, he's missed one game, and it was for a precautionary neck thing that he had happen in Edmonton this past year. The chances of him playing another 18-game season and staying healthy the whole time seems extremely low, right? He, the last three years, he stayed very healthy, 
But my point is, I think Drew Brown can stay in Winnipeg. And just with Zach Kolaris being another year older, the club being another, you know, being more careful with with maybe how much he plays, I do think that there's an argument to be made that, that Drew Brown staying in Winnipeg will still play a pretty considerable amount over the next year or two, even with Kolaris in the building. You guys have both nailed this, right? I've seen some comments of like, why is this comment surprising? We all knew Drew Brown was going to leave. Well, when you really <laughs> look at it, well, that, that seems like it's the best spot for him. Now, is Calgary enticing if they were actually smart enough to bring in some competition for Jake Mayer? Yes, but I'm not sure that organization is the type that's going to make that move. They've seemed incredibly committed to Jake Mayer and all their public commentary. They're not one to make big splashes in free agency. And so it just doesn't seem like they would be actively pursuing Drew Brown. I like Saskatchewan giving Trevor Harris his age, but let's be real, guys. Harris is on that TB12 method. He might play longer than Kolaris does if we're really being August about it. He might play till he's 45. So it might be a nice succession plan. I know when we were in our, our press conferences yesterday, I asked Jeremy O'Day whether that would be an ideal situation for him to have a player like Drew Brown as a succession plan. And he said it would be, but I'm not sure Harris as is, is as close to retirement as his age would indicate. And then there's Ottawa, which is the only place where you can step in and likely be the day one starter, but you just have to have a huge caution sign blinking over top of that red blacks organization. Because if you go in there, they like Dustin crumb. And by the way, Tyree Adams started over Dustin crumb at the start of the year. So if both of those guys are healthy in training camp, you're going to have to beat them both out. And then if you get to the mid season mark and you haven't lit the world on fire and Maybe there's some doubts, even though you're adjusting as a first-time starter and you maybe need some room to grow. That's when Jeremiah Mazzoli could be getting healthy and entering the lineup and putting that organization in an uncomfortable position. So if you're a quarterback, there's a lot of competition there in Ottawa, potentially. And the talent, let's be frank, gentlemen, is not that good for that team right now. And that could change. But it would scare me to be Drew Brown going into the Red Blacks. And that's really the only spot where he can get what he's seeking as a number one job. Winnipeg is a far safer option. There's a few things I think we should get into here. Number one being, if you're Ottawa, you know that Drew Brown doesn't necessarily have another high bidder unless something completely changes with Saskatchewan or Calgary, which we don't think is going to happen. So you can sit there and sort of play the slow game. And also we've said multiple times already that the Red Blacks need to spend money elsewhere. So they have Dustin Crumb on a rookie deal, Tyree Adams on a rookie deal, presumably Jeremiah Masoli on a cut rate deal. So why would they not just be happy going into the season with Dustin Crumb as their potential starter who's played more football in the CFL than Drew Brown has, by the way, and those other guys there and spend the money elsewhere. And if you're Brown, you get the crystal ball out and you say, you know, ideally to get one of those upper tier quarterback contracts in the CFL, you at least need to have two bidders. So let's look at 2025, okay? There is a lot riding on this season for Bolivar Mitchell and his playing future in Hamilton. A lot of people around the league think he's already done. There were some flashes last year, especially that Saskatchewan game where I was like, yo, that looks 
like vintage Bo Levi Mitchell throwing the ball, but he's got to put a whole season together. So you think, okay, maybe Hamilton could be jonesing for a quarterback in the offseason next year. And then you say, eh, you know, if Jake Mayer is kind of meh next year, perhaps the Stampeders are looking for a quarterback. And then there's obviously the injury situations. And in Edmonton, McLeod Bethel-Thompson's only signed to a one-year deal. And Cody Fajardo, I don't think this has been talked about enough, has alluded to the fact that he was close to retirement and very much contemplating it before he even ever signed with Montreal and is at this point in time, at least probably going to end his career playing for the Alouettes. However, that plays out. And what if Chad Kelly miraculously, you know, gets an NFL contract this offseason? I think that is the one thing that Drew Brown would have to be helping for the most. Ryan Dinwiddie was surprised that Kelly has not had any NFL workouts up to date yet. We're taping this on Wednesday, January 10th. And there have been some people behind the scenes that have told me, well, there's some teams in the NFL playoffs that don't necessarily want to bring in a quarterback to work them out, to take the focus away from what they're doing. So that remains to be seen. I think it's probably a long shot that that happens with Kelly. But you know, outside of the situations that we've talked about, that's the only real chance for Brown to get some decent starting quarterback kind of money. And that's why I think you got to get that crystal ball out for 2025 because it could be a completely different landscape, guys. We've seen things shift so much and so quickly in multiple ways in pro football, but especially at the quarterback position with injuries and the rest that I think ultimately he might have to swallow another season in Winnipeg. And if I was the Ottawa Red Blacks and I wanted to sign Drew Brown and I saw him as the guy, I would be tempted with all the savings you're mentioning, Dunk, saving on Jeremiah Masoli's second deal, saving on a rookie deal for Dustin Crum, saving on a rookie deal for Tyree Adams, saving on a bunch of veterans not being back. One thing I would do is say, okay, we're going to bring you in, Drew, but we're going to bring in Brady Oliveira and Dalton Schoen as well. Like We're going to give Dalton Schoen Eugene Lewis money. We're going to give Brady Oliveira... 225, which is well over $50,000 more than any other running back in the league made this past year. And we're going to make you the guy and we're going to bring in your weapons. We're going to bring in your tools. Kyle Walters, by the way, said there's been preliminary discussions with Oliveira and was shown regarding an extension, though both guys are still focused on the NFL. As of now, neither have had any NFL workouts, though it's always possible that one or more could still take place. Um, so that, that's what I would do. If you're the Auto Red Blacks and you want to I make love a splash. that, Hodge. But and if you're the Red Blacks, why not go trade for Brown right now? You could also do and that. And then you could release Masoli. I mean, if we're talking about hypotheticals, and then say to Brown, hey, yeah, we're going to push for some of these guys that you're familiar with, man. I love that idea. And if you're Drew Brown, and and or if you're the Auto Red Blacks and you bring in Drew Brown, then you can make Drew Brown a recruiting person, which happens constantly in the CFL. Uh, by the way, that is sometimes how... You catch wind of someone making a decision on a contract because you go, hey, uh, I hear so-and-so is calling free agents and telling them to sign in Edmonton. Do <laughs> you think maybe they've signed in Edmonton? That'd be very strange <laughs> behavior if they didn't have a contract in Edmonton. Uh, so anyways, if you're the Red Blacks, that might be a good way to go about it. But short of that, I, I get it. Um, Do we think, though, fellas, that Drew Brown is a better quarterback at this point by a wide margin, let's say, because you're going to have to pay him, than Dustin Crump? Yes, I I would say he's certainly a more complete quarterback. I would say Dustin Crum might have a little more upside long term, but right now, if if I was putting my job on the line, I would certainly take 
Drew Brown over Dustin Crump, 100%. I've seen Drew Brown in what limited action he's been able to get in with Winnipeg, actually read a defense and get the ball out on time. Dustin Crump has you know, exhibited some some good athleticism. He can use his legs certainly more than Drew Brown can. But boy, oh boy, it was painful for stretches of last year watching okay, okay, him okay. actually but trying to throw the ball. Dustin Crumb in that Blue Bombers offense with that talent around him. And I, I also think, hold on, this is apples and oranges because Dustin Crumb was playing in the MAC in 2022 and started 14 games in the CFL in 2023. Drew Brown wasn't even a full-time starter at Oklahoma State, where, by the way, he played alongside Taylor Cornelius, yes, underneath, that Taylor underneath, Cornelius, Taylor underneath him. Then he came to the <laughs> CFL, canceled season in 2020, PR'd all of 2021, and then 2022, he didn't play until essentially the end of the year. He had like a couple of drives here and there. So, like, I, I don't want to compare the two from a, you know, like a, a hard standpoint because, again, it's apples and oranges the way these two guys have come about. But I will say the thing that impresses me the very most about Drew Brown is how quickly he gets the ball out on time and how well he delivers the ball on the run. And those two things would be massively beneficial for a team like Ottawa that has struggled up front with their offensive line at times. It's now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 1991, Jean Auge was Happy born at the Children's Hospital you. in Winnipeg. Happy birthday! And, oh, we're doing this, okay? To you. Happy <laughs> birthday, dear Jean Auge! <laughs> Happy birthday to you and, and many more. Thanks, I appreciate it. <laughs> Uh, 33 years later, he's sitting here recording a podcast with you two Goombas. Uh, Hodge <laughs> covers the CFL and all things Canadian football for 3 com. starting as a freelancer with the publication upon its launch in May 2015 and becoming a full-time employee of the website two years ago. Uh, it did not take me long as a peewee football player to realize that if I wanted to stay around Canadian football, that it was not going to be as a player. And so I'm thrilled to be involved with it every day as a member of the media. And it is a pleasure to work on behalf of our lovely and fantastic listeners, readers, viewers, uh, who obviously crave news and unbiased coverage. Well, no one's truly 100% unbiased, but independent, <laughs> I should say, coverage of Canadian football from people who simultaneously respect and understand the league, but also want to challenge the league and the people who make up the league to always be better and and work harder. So it is a pleasure to do that. And um, I appreciate, obviously, the hard work and support that you guys bring along with that as valuable members of our Three Down Nation team. Man, the people should know out there that John has been a very integral part of getting Three Down Nation where it is today. I would call him a pillar of this organization or this independent outlet is maybe the way to put it. And I think he's admitted this to me before that he never could have foreseen this happening where it's become a full-time thing, but you could tell that this guy, the way that he processed information very early on, and especially now how freaking fast he is on the keyboard. Absolutely. insane. (laughs) This guy might not look like it, but he has Usain Bolt kind of speed with those fingers. It is unbelievable, but 
in all seriousness, I mean it when I say it. He has been a pillar for this website. And Ed Hervey, rightfully so, gave you a number of compliments in the meetings in Nashville about this outlet. And I think that's well warranted, man, because I know you're not going to trumpet, pardon the pun, because I know you're into music, your own success and how much you've grown. But it has been unbelievable to see how much you've taken in, grown in your own way, taken advice from the founder of this website, Drew Edwards, and even some of that from myself, but also coached up so much of this team, especially the other guy that's on this podcast and JC Abbott. So you know, I just love working with you both. But in this instance, because it's your birthday, my boy, John Hodge <laughs> is among the best at what he does, not even just in this country, not even just in North America, but honestly, the world. That's not a hyperbole. That's just a fact. Yeah, nobody works harder. Nobody puts in more hours. I think a lot of people, when they think of Three Down Nation, they think of you, Dunk, as our quarterback, the face of the franchise, the guy who's out there. Well, John Hodge, team, man. He, John Hodge is the center, right? He, he, he's big. He's burly. He's right in the middle. He does all the dirty work. He's calling out the protections. He's just as smart. He's doing everything down no, there in smarter, the trenches. Bro. So we could he not do it. Smarter. <laughs> well, Twice I, as pretty, too. I appreciate yeah, exactly. I appreciate all the kind words. I think a center is a great way to describe what I do. Um, the calls are not always perfect, but they are generally, I think, uh, uh, good calls and put other people in positions for success, which I would consider arguably the most important thing that I try to do on a day-to-day basis. Again, I don't always get it perfect. I don't always get it right. But I, I do my best and, and learn from my mistakes. And I think that has that has put us in a good position for long term success with this publication as we are still, you know, we, I mean, we've been around for almost nine years now. But relatively speaking, we are still a baby of a publication. We are still in, in, our, in our infancy and I'm excited to continue growing and uh, and developing. And uh, I thank you both for for obviously your tutelage and obviously holding me accountable as as we grow. And, and all the kind words. Now time for the three-minute drill. I wasn't done yet because we didn't say what position <laughs> JC was. JC's the water boy. No, 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 no. He's like that up-and-coming sleeper round kind of a draft pick mm. that is turning out to be a gem of a find. I'm just kidding. Position. I, I would say JC is like a, an old-school Mike linebacker. Like, he's cut his teeth on specials. And now Ooh. he's getting a chance to start, and he's and 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 he's he's patrolling the defense, and people don't want to come at him over the middle because JC, and you can ask anybody in the CFL this, he has a reputation for asking hard questions, like like people the the fear in their eyes, you could see it <laughs> when he comes across the middle of a press conference. He looks like a cinnamon roll, but he will bite you. <laughs> he will bite you, bro. <laughs> Haven't we heard flack for body shaming ourselves in the past? I don't, I don't mean – well, first of all, I'm bigger than JC. But secondly, I don't mean cinnamon roll in terms of size. I mean in terms of he looks very unthreatening, right? He, he does not look like a scary person, but he will cut you. He will cut you. It comes to mind for me real quick, and there's a couple things actually before we get to three-minute trail. Sorry, Hodge. When we were in Halifax or Touchdown Atlantic – I believe it was the first time when the Argos and Riders played, right, JC? Two, year, uh, two years ago now, not last two year. Two years ago, so I've been 22, I think. Yeah. 
we're in a scrum with Craig Dickinson. It's after all the Garrett Marino nonsense happened with Jeremiah Masoli. And JC asks an absolute fire question that was beyond anything I could comprehend or think up. And the scrum's over and we're walking away and Craig turns to me and says, Hey, you got your young buck or your young guy to ask that hard question there. Hey, eh, Duncan. I was like, dude, that was all him. So Dickinson felt it that day. And to your credit, you ask hard questions in a fair way, but it's, and I think we all do this, the questions that the fans generally want asked. That's what we try to do at this publication. And guys, before we go on to three minute drill, we were all in on the media availabilities from the CFL winter meetings of all the head coaches and all the general managers. What was your favorite moment or takeaway from those sessions? I'll go first because I got a good one. It was Sean Burke, general manager of the Auto Red Blacks, asked about Jeremiah Masoli. And he said, well, we have been communicating on a regular basis with Jeremiah Masoli and his agent through this whole process. And I'm paraphrasing slightly, but I think I got the wording really close to perfect. He said something to the effect of because communication is the most important aspect of culture. And this came just moments after when asked about Trey Ford and McLeod Bethel Thompson, Chris Jones is like, I don't coddle these kids. I don't talk to none of them. Why would I care? And I'm not saying that Jones is wrong or Burke is wrong or either is right. I just thought it was an amazing illustration of two people who on paper have the same job and same responsibilities having completely opposite methodologies for how they go about their business. It was hilarious. We're going to talk about contrast, Hodge. How about the GM press conferences where, of course, because they're out east, they're both in Ontario, you get Toronto, and then you get Hamilton right after. So you have Michael Pinball Clemens, who's joking around, (laughs) beaming, smiling, and then Ed Hervey sits down stone-faced. And you got to ask him questions. Now, he did give some compliments, but I don't think he smiled once that entire I, I think he, I think he smiled twice. I think there was one. He oh, hit okay. the over on or over under. Yeah, the over under was zero point five smiles. The over under for pinball was one hundred and twenty seven, <laughs> and he still he smashed, smashed the over. Smashed the over. I lost count. I don't know about you guys, but my favorite thing, honestly, was the refreshing nature by which Scott Milanovic and Ed Hervey provided. Real, tangible answers. It's felt like an eternity in Hamilton. With all due respect, he is hailed as a wonderful human being, Orlando Steinauer. A great family man in the rest. But he was infamous, let's say, for not answering even simple question or taking issue with obvious questions. I can remember asking him, Oh, man, what year was this? I believe it was 2021. He had said Jeremiah Masoli was his starter for week one. So after the game, Hodge, did they lose in Winnipeg that year in week one? Yes. I remember asking him after the game, is naturally Masoli your starter for week two? And he did not like that question, but he had said very clearly that Masoli was a starter for week one. So full credit to Scott Milanovic for 
providing some great context and insight into all the questions, at least that I asked him, and to Ed Hervey for clarity on Duke Williams, Chris Edwards, and a number of the other topics that we covered with him. It was real. I felt like the majority of it, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong or you feel like I'm off base, was honest, and it was completely refreshing from the Tiger Cats organization. And I'm sure the fan base to get real answers about what's going on with a franchise that they love and pay good money. Essentially, that money goes to the paychecks of the head coach and the general manager and the players to go and see and support. So full credit, Milanovic and Hervey. There were some other funny things that happened. One person, I can't remember who it was, Hodge, you'll remember who it was, called you Johnny. That was a great moment. I think that was Ed Hervey, actually. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. And the one that was most befuddling to me was Dave Dickinson seemingly continuing on this trend of wanting to make the Canadian game more like the American game, talking about wanting to have sort of one governing body for what's a catch. And I think he was alluding to the fact where he wants catches to have two feet in bounds in Canadian football, where it's you know, at every level in Canada, you know, except for that four down game they play out in BC, JC, one foot in bounds. I don't well, think even even two in BC, catch it's football one would foot help that Calgary offense. It's NC, NCAA uh, rules. So, like, college football is oh, one foot too. The only league that's two foot is the NFL. Let's just keep it one foot. Let's keep the dribble kick. Let's keep the rouge. Let's keep the things that make our game unique. And what would Randy Ambrosi say? Fast, fun, and entertaining fast fun entertaining because after six years as commissioner he realized that the thing fans want are for the game to be fast and exciting or radically canadian i like that Uh, and whatever but like i'm just saying i feel like we could have figured that out on day one let's make it fast and fun and exciting but it took yeah, a while. Put the hash marks back, okay? We don't need these American-sized <laughs> hash marks. I'm sick of it. All right. Two-time CFL All-Star defensive back, Theatric Nichols, signed a two-year extension to remain with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Is that money well spent? The money spent on Dietrich. Dietrich Nichols oh, is geez, very sorry. well spent. Dietrich. Dietrich. It's okay. There's Winnipeg members of the media who call him Dietrich. There's also members of the coaching staff who call him Dietrich. It's Dietrich <laughs> Nichols. He signed a two-year contract. This is a big deal because he's not only a two-time CFL All-Star, he's making 140 k on his new deal per sources in 2024. That is more than Ooh. any American defensive back made in the CFL this past year. Goes to show how much they value him at halfback. By the way, for all the hemming and hawing about some of Winnipeg's free agents, it's amazing that they immediately re-signed Dietrich Nichols and Willie J. They won't say it on the record, but it's pretty obvious who they know are the two most important players on that defense, at least of the pending free agents, not including the guys who are already under contract. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders have signed former second-round pick Noah Zur, who played along the offensive line with the University of Saskatchewan Huskies. Will he help their blocking up front? He will certainly provide some interesting depth. I liked Zur coming out through the draft. He's struggled a little bit early in his CFL career, was a second-round pick with BC, and got cut after just one season, which was a bit surprising, but... Found some footing with Hamilton last year in a, in a depth role, and hopefully going back to his home province will help him settle in, and maybe he's a late bloomer as a pro. 
Over the holidays, Three Down Nation released its rankings of all 27 U Sports football logos. The Carlton Ravens finished number one in the voting, robbing, robbing Gooba oh, from the University God, of Alberta. Oh, God, no, Alberta sucks. <laughs> Absolutely robbed. Anyway, uh, and your precious Wealth Griffins dunk finished dead last, which was deserved. What do you have to say to defend your alma mater? Nothing. Be better, honestly. <laughs> I talked about this with some of my former teammates, and we pretty much unanimously agreed that it deserves that ranking. There was only one argument that some people thought the University of Calgary Dinos logo might be worse, but honestly, I think it should be better. It's a cool freaking idea. I know they went with alliteration, but it could be so much cooler as a logo, man. Come on! The Elks released receiver Stephen Dunbar Jr. and linebacker, the Canadian Adam Konar, ahead of offseason roster bonuses. Which player was the bigger surprise to you? I think it was Konar. No disrespect to Dunbar, but it's obvious that the Elks vastly overpaid at the receiver position between Dylan Mitchell, Kyron Moore, Eugene. Like They had too many guys. They were going to have to make a move. A little bit surprised to see Konar gone just because he has shown that he could be a starter as a Canadian in the league. That said, he is getting up there in age. Uh, clearly, the team feels he lost a bit of a step, but I'm sure he'll get signed. He's still a good player. Dane Evans announced his retirement from the CFL and is said to be pursuing a career in coaching. Do you think he'll make a quality coach someday? I think he will. I think he really thrived in that sort of backup or number two, one B quarterback role where he could help the starter and, and really be a part of a unit like that. I think he would be a good quarterback coach. Sad to see him retire because I still think he has some gas in the tank. He showed some good things in BC this last year, but clearly it was time for him to step away and I wish him all the best. Charleston Hughes announced his retirement from the CFL after sitting out all of last season as a free agent. How will you remember the future Hall of Fame pass rusher? I'll remember him for being a dynamic rusher off the edge and getting to the quarterback and him doing that famous surf celebration. But honestly, the thing that I think about most is when John Hoffnagel didn't want to trade him within the West Division and he went to, I think it was the Hamilton Tiger Cup for like yeah. a hot minute yeah. and then got treated <laughs> back to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the West Division. I would imagine Mr. Hoffnagel was a little bit at that move. The Ottawa Redblacks re-signed star defensive back Brandon Dandridge through 2025. Does that move make sense? Dandridge, I think, is one of few players who was on the Redblacks last year where you watch him play and you go, I want that guy on my team. This is a great move for the Redblacks. He's versatile, he's physical, he's athletic. Definitely a piece they could build around. JC, you attended the College Gridiron Showcase in Fort Worth, Texas, how did 2024 CFL and NFL draft prospect Theo Benedict look to you? Looked incredible, guys. And let's be frank, it's not the greatest group of pass rushers down there, but Theo Benedict absolutely dominated the competition. He lost exactly one rep in all of the two days he was there going up against NCAA competition. He was by far the best offensive lineman down there. I would argue the best player, period, there. And NFL teams were drooling over him all week. He had, I was sitting there in the interview rooms on the Friday night just after the players arrived. It was a three-hour interview period. 
and the poor kid couldn't even get a bathroom break. He was getting drugged by his hand from table to table. He's looking over his shoulder trying to get a drink of water or five minutes to himself, and people are just carrying him from team to team because he was that coveted. Got 15 interviews that night, a bunch the next night as well. I think at this stage, virtually every single NFL team has talked to him in some regard. I would not be shocked if he gets drafted this year in the NFL. CFL All-Star receiver Austin Mack signed with the Atlanta Falcons on a deal that you reported, Dunk, includes around $100,000 in guaranteed money. Do you think he'll stick with the Dirty Birds? There's a really good opportunity there for him to stick for a couple of reasons. You look at that roster in terms of pass catchers, it's Drake London, who they used a high draft pick on, Kyle Pitts, who they used a high draft pick on, and really just a bunch of guys. So from that perspective, I think there's a real chance. Yes, they're probably going to try to upgrade the position there through the draft and free agency. But the other reason I think there's a real chance is because Ryan Pace, the assistant general manager, was the one who reached out to Max agent, Brandon Parker, right after the Grey Cup to try to get him to come in for a workout. It's not some regional scout or guy that's in the front office that's down the ladder. The assistant general manager reaches out to try to get you in that says a lot he sat with pace and the general manager terry fontenot i think is how you say it properly and had a talk they flew him up there even just to sign his contract so i think it's a real opportunity and mac actually turned down other chances to work out for nfl teams because of how the falcons treated him so i think there's a really good shot for him there to make the roster but it'll be up to how he does in training camp with the team the Saskatchewan Rough Riders released veteran strong sideline backer Derek Moncrief. Do you think the club was wise to move on from Creef? Man, Derek Moncrief was worth the price of admission just a few years ago. Unbelievably high-level play from him. That was just not the case in 2023. He did not look like the player of old. He looked sluggish. He looked slow. Might have been a one-off. Would love to see him get another opportunity in the CFL. But yes, the Riders were smart to move on. Despite the fact that he is well-respected in the community, does a lot of great work there, they had to make this move. The Calgary Stampeders re-signed star defensive tackle Mike Rose through 2025. Is that a smart move for the club? Absolutely is. Rose continues to be year in and year out one of the best defensive tackles in the CFL, particularly from a pass rush standpoint. They had to get him locked up, and they did. Former CFL All-Star linebacker Alex Singleton broke the Denver Broncos single season record for tackles this year. How cool is it to see him still being a force in the NFL? It's really cool, and people got to remember this when they're thinking about the Nathan Rourke trajectory, right? How did Singleton cut his teeth and earn a real opportunity with the Philadelphia Eagles? It was through special teams. He wasn't playing down in, down out as linebacker as he is now with a bona fide starter with the Denver Broncos. So people, it takes time. Singleton is proof. And oh, by the way, he's earning millions and could earn tens of millions when his NFL career is all said and done. Full credit to Singleton for being an absolute baller. Tiger Cats GM Ed Hervey said pending free agents receiver Duke Williams and strong side linebacker Chris Edwards won't be back with the team in 2024. Is that a surprise? It is not at all a surprise. Duke Williams was incredible his first couple years at Edmonton. Last year, or I say I should say 2022 in Saskatchewan, I said he was flopping like a fish all over the field. 
And <laughs> honestly, that is what came to pass in 2023. He was not the consistent deep threat that he once was. And obviously the team shut him down in September for a reason. And Chris Edwards, I mean, what is there to be said about Chris Edwards? He's punching opponents. He's punching fans. And now he's punched his ticket out of town, right? I, I don't think he could blame the Ticats. I'd be surprised if he was back in the CFL. Uh, two last things before we sign off. Uh, one, we would like to extend our sincere condolences to the family and friends of Burke Dales. Passed away on January 6th in Calgary at the age of 46. He punted for the Concordia Stingers. was a three-time RSEQ All-Star with them. Got a look with the Pittsburgh Steelers coming out of U-Sports and then had a 10-year CFL career. Two-time League All-Star, four-time West Division All-Star as a member of the Calgary Stampeders, Edmonton football team, and Montreal Alouettes. He was only 46 years of age. Tragic passing. And also, we would like to recognize our very own Josh Smith, who was a founding freelance member of Three Down Nation with the Ham- covering pr- primarily the Hamilton Tiger Cats, who decided to step away from the site at the end of 2023 to pursue other opportunities. Uh, we were very thankful for all of the, the hard work that Josh put into the site and how much Ticats fans came to especially love his coverage, engage with his coverage, his thoughts, his analysis, his opinions. Uh, many of our listeners also listen to his show, Podski Wee, I'm sure, which has been a fixture on the site. I understand, though it will not be connected to Three Down, it will continue with him and Mike. So we wish him all the best. And if you want to remain connected with what Josh is producing, make sure you're following him on Twitter at Josh Smith underscore 82 and subscribe to his show as well. We appreciate his hard work very much. Definitely do. And for people that don't know, way back in the day when the site started, when John Hodge was one of those founding contributors, let's say, Josh Smith was one of those as well. Drew Edwards had this vision of bringing essentially a bunch of, and I don't necessarily love this term, but fan blogs together, along with his coverage of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And that is what ultimately helped Three Down Nation get to where it is today. So Josh Smith was one of those guys, and we thank him very much. We'll see you next week for another episode of the Three Down Nation podcast. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.